And welcome to the Movies Podcast for me. I'm Phil Hinton and joining us tonight is Simon Crust. Hi, Simon. Hi, Phil. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. And also here is, as always, Assistant Editor Steve Withers. Bonsoir, boys. What's happened since we were last on the Movies Podcast? Uh, well, a couple of trailers I saw this week, guys, and I have to say, itching to see these movies. Uh, so, obviously, we've had the, the, the long trailer for Into Darkness, uh, the new Star Trek film, as well as uh, Man of Steel, and have to say... Guys, uh, both of them look absolutely brilliant. They do. And uh, what they've been really good at, I think, both of those trailers and the trailers that went before them, they've uh, they've been great at teasing us without really giving away too much in terms of plot detail. I mean, obviously, we know the basic story of Superman, but, uh, um, you know, looking at the, tra- the trailers, you don't really know exactly what's going to happen in it. You know, you know, obviously, the planet blows up at the beginning and he gets sent to Earth, but what order it's going to be in, uh, how General Zod fits into all of it, it just teases you with, uh, with some really amazing images. Uh, and as for Star Trek, well, is he Khan? Isn't he Khan? We don't know. Um J.J. Abrams is particularly good at keeping his cars close to his chest, and uh, he's done a brilliant job in the you know in this day and age, when it's difficult to keep anything a secret. He's managed to keep the plot twist to Star Trek Into Darkness um you know up up his sleeve. So, uh, yeah, I thought they were fantastic trailers, and I'm I mean May's Star Trek in May, Superman in June. Normally, uh, sort of July and August are the big months, but um, this year basically Iron Man in um, April, uh, and then Star Trek and and Man of Man of Steel. So I'm not quite sure. I can't even remember what's coming out in August and September, but I think it could be um, could be playing. It could be sort of shooting our bolt early doors this year. The the Man of Steel one to me looked like um, well, it's a, it's a remake and original again, isn't it? It's, it's an origin story, so we we know what's going to be coming. It strikes me just looking at that trailer, great as it is. Um, that it could be just uh, a basic remake of the first two Chris Reeve films, amalgamated into one. Um, I, I wouldn't mind that. I mean, the original Superman uh, movies one and two, as scripted and partly made by Richard Donner, were absolutely brilliant. Unfortunately, the sort kind of screwed him over on Superman two, and he didn't get a chance to finish it, even though he'd shot seventy percent of that film yep. when they finished and, and finished off Superman the movie. Um, you know, the original concept was was fantastic, and, and, and one of those great. Missed opportunities, I think, because of penny pinching and money. Um, they didn't let Donna finish the film as it was conceived by him and Tom Mankiewicz, which is a real shame. So they are doing that. Great. But, I mean, it's got Nolan and David Goyer and, and Christopher Nolan um, and Jonathan Nolan, Jonathan Nolan, rather Christopher Nolan's brother, uh, who have obviously done a, a pretty good job with uh, Dark Knight, apart from maybe the third film, which was a bit of a disappointment in my opinion. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think you know, they're, they're sort of playing with uh, – with the mythology of Superman, um, and bring it more up to date in terms of uh, in terms of things like the effects and the storyline and, and the characterization, and maybe adding us. It certainly, it's got a looks a more realistic take, if that's possible, with a sort of flying alien. Um, it looks more realistic and, and more like the kind of Nolan verse that we've had with uh, with us with Batman. So. Yeah, yeah, I certainly, uh, certainly, I, I can't wait to see it. I'm, it's got me quite excited, actually. What does the S stand for? That's not an S on my planet. I thought I that was, was quite clever. I was just going to say that. Yeah, I thought that was really quite clever. Yeah. And it, it looks like they're moving it uh, far enough away from uh, the origin story that we th- that we think we know. Um, that's a feeling that I got from the trailer. I think they're going to try and 
maybe think a little bit out of the box in terms of the whole origin thing. I mean, there seems to be a, a lot more in terms of um, how he'll be accepted and, and, and so on with uh, uh, with his new planet and, and the people around him and so on. So I think that, that might give an interesting uh, story arc. Yeah, an interesting dynamic that um, we previously haven't seen. It may, of course, be um, been explored in the comics. I'm not a huge uh, Superman comic fan, so I don't know the the ins and outs of the various origins that he's been given through his various incarnations. But uh, yeah, it could be it could be great. I mean, the, there's no denying the trailer does look stunning. It, it really does want to make you put on your uh, pants outside your trousers and get out the uh, get in the cinema there definitely. I'm sure Chris will be. <laughs> I'm sure too. <laughs> if if there's one of the AV Forums team that's going to wear his pants over his trousers, it will be Chris. There is no <laughs> doubt about that. And he'll be jumping off walls when he's drunk and, and also. So we can expect some broken ankles or broken wrists and, and so on as he lives out his dream. But um, the other trailer, the Star Trek trailer, this is now the second movie. We know the, we know the characters. We've gotten to know the characters. And... Um, I have to say, even just after one movie and one reboot movie, uh, they're starting to feel like uh, familiar characters, family characters, and and we can now get to the meat on the bones, basically. Pun intended. Well, they certainly look like they've upped the ante, haven't they, in terms of in terms of the action. I mean, I was a bit, I was slightly concerned um, seeing a couple of the previous trailers. There wasn't much Star Trekking going on. It, it seemed to be quite uh, planet bound, but there was a lot more space action in this trailer, which relieved me immensely. And you know, there was a, it was very, very, again teasing you with uh, shots of a, a massive spaceship in front of the Enterprise, this sort of stuff. You're thinking, well, what's that all about? So, uh, yeah, it, it's, um, there's no question that Abrams has definitely uh, upped the ante on this one in terms of the scale and the, uh, and the effects and the action. Uh, you know, he shot a lot of it with um, IMAX cameras. Uh, it's being post-production converted into 3D, but he's really going for a big epic feel to this one. Um, and, and looking at, looking at what he's done, Previously, with the, obviously the first Star Trek movie, and, and then what I've seen so far of this one in the trailers, uh, got me very excited for what he's going to do in the Star Wars universe. Ah, that's a discussion for another time. Yeah, definitely a discussion for another time. So, uh, those are the I think the big two trailers, the big the big two that we we're actually looking forward to. And I guess it, again, refreshing that we're not given the whole plot in the trailers because that's one thing that's really wound me up recently with a lot of movie trailers that. What's the one with about the tsunami, uh, the Boxing Day yeah, tsunami? The impossible. Rate? impossible. The first trailer I saw of that, it showed the ending. So, you know. <laughs> it didn't. It did. It, sh- <laughs> it showed them. If you get the chance to see that one, just avoid the trailer so you don't get the whole film. I'm so, listen to what even you though just, you just told it happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't think that one through, did I? Anyway, moving on, we promised that we were going to talk about streaming this month is it viable for film fans now to stream movies to their tvs or projectors and do away with buying blu-ray discs now uh, up front i am going to give an ethics statement which is basically i want something to hold in my hand i will buy blu-ray discs and if 4k comes on blu-ray i'll be buying those discs as well for me if i want to see a film on the projector, on a big screen, I will always fall back on the Blu-ray version of the movie. I've got a funny feeling Steve will be the same on this one. However, I, I uh, am indeed. However, recently, I have purchased myself an Apple TV a subscription to Netflix, a subscription so I can get the US Netflix. And I have to say, for stuff that I don't want to sit and watch on the projector, on the big screen, 
uh, maybe movies that I just want to catch up on, something that normally I, I maybe would have rented and so on. I have to say that I'm finding the experience not too bad, Steve. Yeah, I mean, just like you, Phil, you know, I very much like to physically own the media. So, you know, Laserdisc, then DVD, and, and now most recently Blu-ray. As you say, if, the, if there's some kind of 4K delivery format uh, coming down the pipe, then again, I'd go for that in a big way. I like to, I like to physically own, like to have something in my hand. You know, if I spent 20 quid, I want to show something. So far, I'm not a fan of downloading stuff because since something's sitting on your hard drive, to me, doesn't feel like I really own it. I want, I want something physical in my hand. I want a booklet. I want, a, I want a case. I want a nice gl- glossy cover. I want something that I can hold and and that's and put on my shelf. But having said that, um, like you, I, I I recently bought an Apple TV and did exactly the same thing. And um, I think part of the reason I was reticent to, to stream was because uh, I was concerned about picture quality. Obviously, you know, being AV fans, we've got pretty good systems, you know, big home cinema, but also a pretty good TV. You've got a Kuro in the lounge. You know, and I want that, and that's calibrated to an inch of its life, and I want everything to look good. And clearly, you buy Blu-ray mainly because it's the, by far and away the, the best quality picture and sound you can get in the home. And I, my big sort of um, problem with with streaming was, uh, is it going to look blocky? Is it going to be you know, low res? Is it going to look? Is it going to look like YouTube basically? However, I, I put on so I watched. I watched. Um, the reason I got Netflix initially was to watch House of Cards. Because uh, I love the original UK uh, miniseries. This was a, a US adaptation with Kevin Spacey and um, directed by and executive produced by David Fincher. And it was a Netflix production. They actually paid like 100 million to make this series, 13 episodes. It's on Netflix. And I thought, five, nine, five, nine, ten a month. I'm going to get, uh, well, the first month is free anyway uh, as a trial. I thought, if I don't like Netflix, then I've, I've lost nothing, but I can get to watch the series. Picture quality was very impressive. I mean, it was as good as high def for free view so uh, you know that ama- in itself amazed me because i've got a really ropey internet connection my broadband is not great so uh, i was i was quite surprised at how good it looked um you know and, and the series was superb it was really well written brilliantly acted high quality really enjoyed it and then like you felt i started so i started to look around and see what else was in there and found so much uh tv shows that i never got around to watching that were all just there uh, old shows that I like, you know, if you if you like Star Trek, for example, you've got the three original se- seasons of uh, the original series. You've got the all seven seasons of Next Generation. You've got uh, all the seasons of Deep Space Nine, all of Voyager, all of Enterprise to watch if you want to. Um, a lot of it's uh, in high def as well, um, where possible. Then there's all the movies, documentaries. And l- like you, I kind of realized that, that there are films that I'm always going to buy on Blu-ray, you know, favorite directors, favorite movies, that kind of thing. I want it on the highest possible quality uh, format but there's lots of movies that you know i wouldn't buy that i would be interested in watching uh, but you know out of curiosity but probably would never buy on disc netflix is a great way i can sit on the sofa i can just flick through until i find something i'm i'm interested in me press play watch it pause it go away come back back to where i left off the convenience of it alone is unbelievable i mean suddenly i've now become a total netflix whore i'm, all, I'm on it all the time um I've watched shed loads in the last month and a half since I started uh, the service, and it's yeah. It, I I got to say it is it is it is uh, it's the future. I have along to with say, garlic bread. <laughs> yeah, garlic bread. Yeah, I have to say I'm very much like you, Steve. Really worried about well, what's a picture quality going to be like? You know, through uh, through the broadband, which isn't great in this country. I mean, I, I'm only uh, hitting six gig. I don't know what you're two. Are you two to three? Two, two to three. three. Um, so I was a little bit concerned about that, but I have to say, 
Um, I've had no issues whatsoever with um, buffering, with um, it going out of sync, with it crashing, um, anything like that. It's uh, It takes a little while in terms of it to, to start loading the stream because obviously it wants to start buffering a little bit before it plays. But then again, you're talking 20 seconds, 30 seconds, which is about the same kind of load time as a Blu-ray disc. Yeah. Um, so there's no inconvenience there, I don't think. Um, and I have to say, picture quality-wise, I'm watching on a 50-inch plasma, and it's good enough for stuff that I want to catch up on. And uh, like you say, TV series, I've finally found um, stuff that I want to watch that I have missed in the past, and all the seasons are there, and I can watch at my leisure or sit and have a weekend just parked in front of the TV and watch them all back-to-back. Back. Uh, the choice is there, which... For somebody who was, and I was the same with DVD, you know, I was a big Laserdisc guy, and uh, I took pride in my Laserdisc collection because I was spending a lot of money on it, and, and when DVD came along, I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, it can't be that good, and um, and and time and again, I, I'm a little bit reticent to change it, and it was the same with streaming, because I had had experiences with iPlayer on laptops and so on, and it was forever buffering if you're trying to watch the HD version um, or it was crashing and so on, and I thought, well, it's not there yet. Um, but I have to say, really impressed with it. Simon, have you have you gone this way yet, uh, or is it something that you're a little bit reticent about? Well, <clears throat> just listening to you two, I, I don't have it, and I've not um, uh, used it here in this country um as as of yet but listening to you guys it sounds to me like it's a, a recreational thing you use it to to catch up on stuff that um you wouldn't necessarily normally have time to go out and purchase and sit down and spend time um whereas if it's just like switching on the telly is that kind of the thing you're talking about you just like switch yep. on the telly yeah yep, it, it right is off, off like it that. goes and there it is yeah i yep. cancelled i cancelled my sky movies and sky sports recently because I thought, well, I'm paying all this money and I'm not actually watching it. I'll, I'll maybe watch the odd Premiership game on a weekend. In terms of movies, I never watched the movies channels. I have no idea why I had the full package. Because I never watched movies on Sky. And on Sky, you can see compression issues with, with certainly in dark movies. Something like Blade Runner is almost impossible to watch on Sky because of a lot of the compression uh, that's there. So I got rid of those. And I was looking for catch-up TV services. Obviously, I can get that through Sky, but I was also looking for something a little bit different, and the Apple TV was, what, 90 quid, 99 pounds? Um, So I thought I'd take a risk with it. And I I have to say, for Netflix and uh, and so on, and, of course, you can open it up. Um, I'm not going to go into details on how you can do that, but there are services out there where you you pay a, a small fee and they give you a U.S., uh, connection so you can get the US Netflix so you, I think you can actually pick where you want so you could pick any region on the planet if you want to watch their Netflix services so that's opened it up as well to a huge amount of content I think um, something that occurred to me because like you felt before I bought my Apple TV and started you know watching Netflix on a regular basis my only real experience of other than when I've been testing TVs has really been using BBC iPlayer and 4OD for catch up and and Whilst the pitch quality wasn't bad, 
there was always this, a lot of buffering going on. I mean, they obviously haven't got much, you know, their capacity is obviously not great because the, I was always getting, particularly with iPlayer, loads of buffering. And if it was a pop, if it was in the evening, I, it would be buffering like mad on high def stuff. And that was kind of what put me off the wall. If it's going to be like that, I, I can't watch that. That's just annoying. So credit to Netflix. I mean, obviously, there's also people that love film and ace tracks, um, but credit to people like Netflix who clearly are putting enough hardware and, and capacity in place to, I mean, to deliver the content in a watchable format, both in terms of uh, compression, in terms of bandwidth, in terms of storage. Everything's there. You're not buffering. I mean, buffering for 20 seconds at the beginning, but after that, I've not had one time where I've had any problems with playback. Um, and I've watched a lot on it, I've got to say, over the last um, last sort of six weeks. No problems whatsoever. The content's there. It's, and the $5.99 a month is really not nothing at all, is it, for, for what's on there. So there's so much content you can watch. I also think, to be honest, having used Netflix on TVs we've been reviewing and that kind of stuff, that uh, the Apple TV interface is particularly slick and effective and I, for some reason looks better <laughs> than on, say, the PS3, which also does it, or, or on, on some of the TV, on the TVs that built in Netflix. Um, so I don't know how much it's down to down to Apple just having a very slick interface, but it's 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 a service that you know I can now see. Having watched Netflix for the last few weeks, you realise that's the future of television. That that that, that broadcast TV is dying, um, and and st- streaming is definitely going to be the way forward. Oh, that's a bold statement. I don't think I can agree with that. I don't think broadcast telly is ever going to die. Well, where would the advertising well. money go? Um, that. HBO, what's well, so the subscription services on? They've HBO. Uh, Netflix has already surpassed HBO in terms of number of subscribers in the US. It's now got nearly thirty million. So, you, you know, there's already. I'm not saying the broadcast TV is you know going to stop right now, but people are we're a different generation. Young kids don't watch television. They watch everything on their mobile devices. They stream everything. They download everything. So, you know, in twenty years' time, will the television? Um, you know, uh, environment will be very, very different. The land- television landscape, if you like, will be completely different from what it is now. I mean, it's already changed beyond recognition from when we were kids. Oh, t- totally. When I, when we were kids, um, let's just show how old we are. There was there was three channels to start with, yeah. then Channel yeah. Four and eighty two, and it was a big deal. Saturday night TV, sitting with the whole family around the TV, it was the damn thing. You all sat around and you all watched the same thing because basically unless you were wealthy and had a, a video recorder back in the early 80s, then there was, I, no, I way, there was no way of catching up on stuff uh, uh, and so on. You look at the landscape that certainly that my nephews and nieces are, are, are growing up in, I, I, I don't think that'll ever, ever happen again where you get the whole family round, regimentally round to watch certain things during the week and so on. People are time shifting. I time shift all the time now. I don't watch um, unless it's a live sporting event. I do not make time to sit down and watch TV. I'll grab the TV when I when I have a spare hour or two. I will have Sky Plus stuff or I'll watch stuff on Netflix. That yeah, that's just that, the that. way that I'm consuming it. And and I think that right across the board, a lot of the people that I talk to, they're all kind of the same. They all they all use iPlayer 
to catch up on stuff and the old time shift. I, I can I can understand that. And um, back back the, at the time you were talking about, there were generally only one TV in a house, so that's why you had the the family environment, and it was almost a, a family thing to sit down and watch a film or Doctor Who, which is making a big comeback. <laughs> and uh, but nowadays, um, you're quite right. But the way it's being used now or consumed is is the is the catch up element. This this Netflix looking at something after it's been broadcast. Yeah. Well, that, so, that's true to a degree. But like I said earlier, House of Cards is a Netflix production. They've also just done a, a werewolf series called Hemlock Grove. Once they start producing their own content, obviously you've got people like HBO producing things like Game of Thrones and some really fantastic TV coming from them. Once they start doing that, and once it starts to pay dividends, and it clearly is paying dividends, um, you've got to start wondering, well, how long? Because I mean, cause with, with House of Cards, Netflix basically gave David Fincher $100 million and said, right, we're not, you, you go away, make what you want to make. In in America with the networks, you know, they 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 make pilots for maybe fifty different shows. They then test the pilots. The ones that score well get made into a show. They'll get 13, 13 weeks, and if it's not doing well in, in in the Nielsen ratings, that's it. They're cancelled. I mean, I mean, it, it must be an absolute nightmare. Look at Joss Whedon, who's a really talented guy, got screwed around so much by the networks, particularly by Fox, on um, on things like Firefly. So many great shows that die up without even getting through one season in America because it's so cutthroat. And what we're getting, what we got now on TV is just all uh, reality TV shows and game shows and The Voice and things that are basically cheap because you haven't got to pay any actors and you haven't got to pay any writers and proper directors and you haven't got to build any sets. And that's all it is. So it's people like Netflix or HBO, you know, or Showtime, and to a certain extent the BBC, who are who are the saviors who are producing quality television. I mean. Uh, you know, I just despair. I mean, I don't watch TV most of the time, particularly don't watch ITV ever. I mean, literally never, unless it's a live sporting event I can't watch anywhere else because I can't abide out of us. I just can't buy the drivel that they spew out. And their Saturday night lineup is just appalling. I never see anything like it. I mean, who would want to watch that rubbish is beyond me. But it's it's just lowest common denominator television. That's what it is. It's about producing stuff that's cheap and, and, and is going to appeal to the widest possible audience. And the really good, challenging stuff is being made elsewhere. And if people like Netflix are starting to produce their own content, and it's really good too, because I'm not kidding, you should watch it. You, uh, to be honest, Simon, get Netflix, uh, do the free month trial and watch House of Cards. It's that good. It's absolutely superb. It's, it's brilliantly written, brilliantly directed, fantastic production quality. I mean, cinema, cinema quality production, um, top, top, top class um, talent in it from Kevin Spacey on down. Uh, absolutely superb. Well worth Five ninety nine a month, if you want my opinion. Um, you know that that's that's where I, I mean things are changing because it's not just that Netflix are just showing old TV shows or, or movies that they buy and they're making their own stuff now, and that's just the beginning. And if they can give really talented people like Eli Roth, who did Hemlock Grove, and David Fincher, if they can give them big big budget and complete freedom and autonomy to do what they want to do, then that's going to attract some re- really good pe- filmmakers, I think. And breathe, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the other side of things, uh, Simon, you brought up the advertising side of things. Um, there is a device in the US, we saw it at CES, and it caused a whole lot of controversy um, at CES because CNET were about to vote it their product of CES, uh, but they're owned by CBS Interactive, and CBS run a TV channel. And this device uh, allowed you to skip the adverts. Uh, it wouldn't record the adverts when, it was, uh, when you time shift and stuff. So it was getting rid of all the advertising. The controversy was that, that CBS 
uh, then told the editorial at CNET, do not award that because we, we're taking up a court <laughs> because it's, it's obviously <laughs> getting rid of the advertising, which keeps networks um, yeah. like CBS and NBC and, and uh, ITV and so on. That, that's where they get a lot of their money. But like the internet, where it used to all be banner advertising uh, and that's where the income came from, these TV companies, they're going to have to think very carefully about where they start getting their income from because things are going to change. People are already time shifting. And one of the, the great things about time shifting is you can fast forward the adverts. You don't have to watch Absolutely. them. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be a major problem, especially for the big networks. Uh, and when it comes to streaming and when it comes to time shifting and so on, uh, that is going to cause them problems. Uh, and they're going to have to think of other ways in which they can sell advertising. And the one area that could go to, and I hope they don't, is product placement. That that seems to be the, the obvious uh, choice. And we've, and that we've was seen definitely it. the case on House of Cards. I don't know if you noticed, Phil, but every single phone and computer was an Apple. So there was clearly a, a, a specific product. I know I actually read about it afterwards, that Apple were um, a major sponsor. You know, It was a product placement deal with the production. Uh, it's not intrusive because, I mean, I've got an iPhone. Who hasn't got an iPhone and Apple Macs and stuff Me. are pretty common, all right? No, everyone's got an iPhone, but they're pretty common. So yeah. it didn't look weird necessarily. Um, but it, it, after a bit, after, after a bit, I thought, well, I, everyone's got an iPhone in this and everyone's using a Mac. But, um, you know, I don't, don't really care. I, I would rather they did that and I got a good show out of it. It's not like it's blatant advertising. I didn't really, really I didn't really, as a kid, quite appreciated product placement until I was re-watching some episodes of Friends like last year. And some of it's really blatant. <laughs> There'd be like a, a box of cereal positioned right in front of the camera for no obvious reason. <laughs> or they would go into the fridge and get out a soft drink for no obvious reason other than to and hold the bottle near the uh, near the camera. Um, the worst case, worst offender of all those, Bond. I mean, God, how much product placement is there in Skyfall? Yeah, Sony everything, isn't it? Sony and, uh, ca Casino Royale, they had the Blu-ray recorders before Blu-ray yeah. recorders were even invented. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, we're kind of looking at the whole thing here. And, and Simon, I, th I think out of the three of us, you are probably the person with the least amount of exposure to certainly sh the streaming side of things and downloading and so on. So from what you've heard from myself and Steve's experiences, as a film fan, does it appeal to you? Well, you... You both put forward very compelling arguments for catching up on TV that you may have missed. Um, but for sitting down to watch a movie with the best picture and the best sound you can get, particularly sound, um, I don't think I would be going the streaming route. Because when I, when I sit down to, a, to, to watch a film, it's almost almost an event. I look forward to, to placing myself in the centre, the sweet spot, if you like, Five speakers all around, 50-inch plasma right in front, backlight on, lights off, and it's better, for me, it's better than being in the cinema. You haven't got all the rubbish that goes with the cinema. And I don't think I would be happy to swap that for just um, uh, a Netflix thing, because whilst you can get a picture close and you can get this amp to process the sound to give you a, a false surround it doesn't appeal to me in 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 the way that you guys have put it across yet for catch-up tv watching series back to back no no advertising definitely yeah i'd, I'd have i'll have all that I've, I've got uh virgin plus here 
and um, I record everything that I want to watch because, like you, I don't want to have to mess around with adverts or whatever. Yeah, I've, I think you've actually hit the nail on the head there, Simon, which, you know, this is where I was wanting to drive the conversation next, is um, that the streaming quality in terms of picture quality is is acceptable on a 50-inch TV if you want to catch up on stuff or if you want to watch films that you have no desire buying on Blu-ray um, but you quite fancy seeing them anyway. Some, something like The Hangover, which it's not something I would buy on Blu-ray, um, but it's something I would sit and watch uh, just to catch up with it and see what, see what it's like. Um, you've hit some really good points there on the technical side, which is the sound side. Um, as far as I'm aware, none of the streaming services at the moment offer Dolby Digital 5.1. Correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but certainly... I don't know of any that are offering that at the moment. No, I don't think so. There you go. That That is one issue. The other issue is that you don't get the latest films on these services. Um, certainly with Netflix and Love Film, um, they tend to be about 12 months behind, Steve. Am I right on that? Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe a little uh, bit longer. Some of the in more independent features go in there pretty quickly. Like, for example, one of the reasons that this whole thing kicked off last month was we were talking about Side by Side, which was on US Netflix um, pretty soon after it came out of the cinema. So that was a lot quicker than perhaps some other stuff. But the big budget movies would be a good year later because um, obviously there's, there's that sort of three-month um, theatrical window. Then there's a three-month Blu-ray DVD window. Then there's uh, a sort of pay-per-view window. So it's, it's at least a year before it's going to get to places like Netflix or Love Film. And the other thing is bit rates. A Blu-ray disc is always going to outperform streaming at, at this moment in time because of the compression and, and everything else. There's less compression on Blu-ray than there is on a streaming service because they have to get it down the pipe. And they're doing a really good job getting it down the pipe at the minute, which has surprised both myself and Steve. But it makes a difference when when you put a Blu-ray on. It, it, you know, Even if it's an HD streamed movie, it just it doesn't look the same it's, there's too much compression there which is one of the reasons I, I got rid of sky as well because um e- even though that was coming over satellite the bit rates you could tell they were strangling the bit rates certainly when they're launching all these new movie channels as well you know the, the more hd channels that go on there it seems to be that the bit rates take a bit of a pummel in and and not one hd channel out there gets close to what it'd be like on a disc. So I would always, if it's a big film or a film I really want to see or a film that I love and I want to own and watch it on the big screen, no, I won't go streaming. I will buy the disc at the minute. So same here. I mean, like I said at the beginning, if it's this movie that I'm just curious about, not but one of the films I watched was um, At the Earth's Core. Saw that in cinema back in 76. Saw it on Netflix. Thought, ah, oh, I wonder if the monsters were as rubbish as I remember them being. Uh, yeah, they were. Uh, but watch that on Netflix. I watched uh, Shame, um, the Michael Fassbender, Steve McQueen movie um, about the sex addict. Because yeah, I, I thought about maybe buying it on Blu-ray, never got around to it. To watch it on Netflix, it was you know uh, it's laying on the sofa but on on the Kuro looked great. Um, I, I was thinking about buying Fringe, the TV series uh, on Blu-ray, um, you know, like twenty five, thirty pounds a, a pop. I've got four seasons of it on Netflix for for, for five or so, um, and and the picture quality is excellent. Uh, so again, um, I would have watched that on the sofa anyway, in 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 the lounge rather than on the big screen. But for, you're right, Phil. For, for a big movie like I don't know, like Star Trek Into Darkness, Blu-ray, hands down on the big screen, job done. That's that's a given. But um, but but for stuff that uh, that perhaps would have passed me by 
or I would have ended up watching on broadcast TV at some point down the line. Then, then Netflix has really uh, got some. My parents were visiting me last week, and I, I sort of showed them Netflix, and they thought it was brilliant. <laughs> I couldn't get them off it. They, they just they just couldn't believe how much choice there was available. And um, and that's the thing I think it's it's a bit like iTunes and 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 ripping your music and having everything on 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 an iTunes account or, or something like that, you know it's just convenience that that that, that, I, that appeals to me um, in terms of watching content, picking what you want to watch when you want to watch it without any advert breaks and and in reasonable quality is, is for, for TV stuff certainly for me uh, is is the ideal situation. Yeah, that's certainly a, a very very valid point, convenience because people talking about the youth um, with their iPhones and their computers and everything, stream this stuff direct, don't they? Yeah. I know my 14-year-old, my, uh, my it's a, a struggle to get him to come out of his room because he's quite happy to sit up in his room on his um, uh, what is it, iPod, iPod thingy, whatever it is. Um, it's I quite a big touch. one. Yeah, touch, that's it. Brilliant. <laughs> um, with his, with his um, was it a four inch, five inch screen, and he'll sit there you, streaming stuff direct to that using my wireless, and I'll never see him. You know, he'll come over for the weekend, and I'll see him for meals, and maybe if I kick him out, I'll take him for a swim. But that's just about it, because he's quite happy to do that. Now I can't abide that. I just think it's so small. I mean, my eyes are getting crap now anyway. But I mean irrespective of that it's so small you've got earphones them piddly little earphone things it just it would just drive me mad i don't understand how he does it oh you're starting to sound like an old man simon <laughs> <laughs> but but it's true i mean we are an yeah, older generation it is, it is. of course uh, it is. but the younger generation they are you know they don't they they, they digest media in a completely different way to us that they they, they, they they do watch stuff on they are quite happy to watch things on a four inch screen on a, on a tablet on a phone on their laptop that's how they watch uh, content now and they stream most of it or they download it i mean you, you look at the statistics for game of thrones it's the most downloaded show in in the world you know more people download it than watch it on hbo and hbo don't really mind because it's kind of like i suppose it's flattering that it's so popular and, it, and people buy the blu-ray as well and the dvd and this sort of stuff i wish hbo had a like a netflix style service i'd be up for that straight away um that, that, that gives you an idea of how much downloading is going on, you know, and people are just downloading shows and watching them whenever they want to, Ill illegally, admittedly. But I think maybe a slightly sweeping statement to say broadcast TV is dead. But I think to a certain generation, it's irrelevant, at least. If not dead, it's certainly irrelevant. People, I mean, people that are watching Ant and Deck on Saturday night are in their 60s. <laughs> right? I mean, they're not the 18-year-olds or 20-year-olds that they're... First of all, they probably wouldn't want to watch it anyway. But so uh, you know, or they're out. But even they're not out, they're watching other stuff on on, on their um, on their phones and their tablets. It's, it's the way it is. I, I couldn't do that. Like like you, Simon. You know, if I want to watch a film, I want to watch it on the biggest screen humanly possible. Yeah, but I, th yeah. I, th I think the the thing here, and and certainly what guides our thinking behind this, is that we are the type of people who have five point one, seven point one sound system set up. We have them set up correctly. We have big screens. Uh, some of us have projectors and projection screens. And for us, it that is our hobby. We love film and uh, we love the whole experience and that kind of thing. Um, but we are in a tiny minority. Uh, and even AV enthusiasts nowadays, they don't go the full hog when it comes to setting up the systems. Some people do. 
small minority do you know it has to be a blacked out room it ha- you know you have to watch it on a projector or 5.1 or whatever but for the majority of people and certainly the the way that fashion dictates nowadays and 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 the way that certainly the other halves want to have their living rooms and so on um it's it's a case of having to hide the equipment nowadays uh, for a lot of av fans and it's all about compromise and then when we get away from the whole av enthusiast side of things people don't care they don't really care about picture quality they don't care that netflix doesn't have 5.1 sound because they're watching it on their tv or they're watching it on their tablet or like your boys simon they're watching it on a small four inch screen with earphones in they don't care about quality and and we've seen the same with music um there's a few of us that are still die hard and we look for high resolution versions uh, for download and we still own CDs and rip the CDs for the better quality better quality bit rates but for the vast majority of people uh, you know a, a 192 mp3 is fine and they'll pay 99 pence and have that off iTunes yeah I mean that is we, we had this discussion on another podcast um, in the home cinema podcast about the changing way people listen to music and and it's true and i think that that, that way is that that's an indication of the way that um, certainly uh, in terms of watching movies and to a certain extent tv programs is going um you know for a long time i've felt that blu-ray is the last physical medium that we'll have to buy that may not be true now i think there might still be one last hurrah for you know 4k blu-ray possibly but even if that happens that that'll be it um you know and that'll be pretty niche i suspect it is the last hurrah and and it, we are going to a download world where you're going to download your movies you're going to i mean what will happen i guess ultimately <laughs> one day is and they're already doing it to a degree but very very expensively is that they'll, they'll just uh, you'll just download movies um on day of release um and that'll that'll become i'm sure day and date releases and downloads at the same time will, will become the norm in the future just because it's it reduces costs for the studios and, and it and generates more more income quicker and, and i think that's important too so, uh, you know, net, I, iTunes has changed music forever. Um, not necessarily for the best, but that's the way it is because of the convenience. Things like Netflix and iTunes again, because they obviously have movie services and TV shows as well, although they're really expensive, um, will again ch- change television and, and home, home, home entertainment uh, as well, ultimately because of convenience and ease and cost. I thought you were going to say download it straight to your brain. Well, that, that's the dream, of course, one day, yeah, be in the movie. <laughs> just plug something in your ear, download it straight to your brain, so you can close your but, eyes uh, and just watch it. I guess the, lim- <laughs> the limiting factor to all this um, is going to be uh, bandwidth and, and the, the, the um, broadband network. Now, Phil, you've just come back from L, um, LG trip to Korea, where you had uh, a chance to t- taste a bit of 4G. Maybe, maybe it's more feasible than we thought. I'll I'll tell you what if we ever get an infrastructure like South Korea, um, then 4K over um, <clears throat> broadband over 4G is entirely possible, completely possible. Uh, we were given Optimus G phones um, for our stay there because uh, our UK phones wouldn't work. They would, the the networks are completely different over there, so. Uh, it's not like going over to the States and, and your phone roaming and finding a, a network to join. Um, Korea, it's completely different. So they get, actually gave us phones so we could all stay in touch with each other for emergencies and that kind of thing. Um, but they were all 4G. They were all active for the entire time. 
uh, we were out there. And I actually used it to tether to my laptop because it was actually quicker than the Wi-Fi in the hotel. And the Wi-Fi in the hotel was quick enough to upload a 10-minute video to, to YouTube within two minutes, where it takes an hour here. Um, and the 4G was even faster. Um, so, you know, that is a glimpse of the future. But will we ever get in the UK? Yeah, eventually. Um, but then the other flip of the coin is that Netflix, um, they did demonstrate 4K streaming at CES. Yeah. And it's entirely possible. Uh, with the new uh, H.265 um, c codec, which uh, is down to 20 megabits per second. Yeah. So that's only just slightly higher than, than Blu-ray at the moment. Um, so, you know, it could be uh, within the next two or three years for some people, and for some people right now, that that could be possible, that could be done. And that's that's what that's the point I'm trying to make because if you if you it, obviously it depends on what you got at home. You know, if you've got a 4K projector and you can download movies, you know, in 4K, that is literally literally what you're getting at the cinema. You really aren't getting any benefit from going to cinema. And you're also, as you pointed out, Simon, you're avoiding all the annoyances of other people and you know noise and crisps and telephones going off and adverts and Perl and Dean and everything else that comes with going to the movies. Um, now, some people might, might some people enjoy that, you know, that, that makes it all part of the experience. But, uh, you know, if I could have a, a, a pristine 4K copy of a movie at home, then brilliant. I mean, that, 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 that's that's sort of my nirvana. Um, it's all going to it's all going to come down to compression. This is the thing. Yeah. And, and it's going to have to be compressed because uh, when you're talking 4K and then when you're talking 8K and, and I still think 8K is a pipe dream, although you just have to look at how quickly technology is moving along uh, nowadays that possibly in 10 years that that will be the standard but for now 4k is a reality you know film studios are working in in that format um they are scanning films old films new films at, at that um resolution um there's going to be content available we just have to find a way of getting it and the blu-ray disc association at the moment uh, they have a working party who are looking at changing the the blu-ray specifications um so we might see 4k movies um especially if the compression is good at 20 megabits per second then it is entirely possible that there could be a, a blu-ray format for 4k um and then when you're looking at the streaming side of things, again, that is possible. It, it can be done. And some would argue, admittedly, it, it's coming from the studios and people that want 4K to be a success, but they are saying it's entirely doable. The, well, the, as you said, Phil, uh, Netflix were, test, were demonstrating it at CES. The BBC are going to be filming uh, Wimbledon in 4K or testing, uh, shooting Wimbledon in 4K in the summer. Uh, Sky have already been doing tests in terms of uh, 4K broadcast. I know uh, one of the European satellite broadcasters has done the same thing. You know, speaking to somebody um, off the record, they said there's absolutely no reason why you couldn't do a 4K Blu-ray. It's, it's perfectly feasible. Um, it's just a question of um, studio support, really. I mean, the technology is there. It's a question of whether you can get all the studios to agree on it and agree on the copy protection and all the other things that come with it, because you know, you're putting pristine 4K masters out there in the marketplace, and if your big concern is piracy, um, then that, you, know, that you, you need lots of copy protection. I mean, that's one of the things that kept, you know, kept Blu-ray and HD DVD from the market for so long was 
because of arguments over, you know, partly because it was a format war, but also arguments over um, over copy protection. And so the same thing would apply to 4K. But um, theoretically, I mean, there's absolutely no reason why technologically we can't do all of these things. Uh, and I've, um, you know, we said this before, and I stand, stand by. I think we'll see it a lot quicker than we realise. I'm all for 4K. <laughs> I saw a demo of it this week. It was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it, it is when you see it done right. And unfortunately, um, some of the demonstrations that people have seen so far has been upscaled content. Um, or uh, there are some uh, misleading marketing out there saying things are 4K when they're not actually 4K. All they're doing is doubling the uh, the uh, the pixel count. But or, or, or misleadingly titling Blu-rays as you know, mastered yeah, in 4K. Mastered well, in 4K. Yeah. I mean, they the, all, they the, all are. <laughs> yeah, the, the, there's a lot of that going on. But when you actually see native 4K content on a native 4K screen, and it doesn't matter how big that screen is, as long as you're at a reasonable viewing distance, um, you will see a difference and you will see the extra detail that is in there. I mean, Absolutely, the, yeah. me and Steve have been raving about this for since since we first saw it. And I first saw it back in 2009 at IFA, where JVC had their 4K projector. It was NHK 4K material, and it just looked outstanding. And every time I see it, it takes my breath away, even on a 22-inch studio monitor. Uh, we had a closed-door demonstration um, back in 2012, yeah. CES. Um, so not last CES, but the CES before. And uh, one was playing 1080p, the other was playing uh, native 4K, 22-inch monitors. You could tell the difference from a reasonable viewing distance. You could tell a difference. Um, so this technology is fantastic. Um, yeah, we're not talking about stuff that's, you know, la-la land here. I mean, I, I'm lucky enough to have had a 4K projector in my home cinema. I've seen 4K content projected onto my screen. It looked bloody amazing. I've had an 84-inch 4K TV in the lounge. Again, I had native 4K content. It, my jaw hit the floor when I put it on. I mean, it was some shots of, um, of Florence. The level of detail in the image was staggering, absolutely staggering. And you just, that, that's just that little glimpse of, of what's to come. You know, absolutely, I cannot wait to, to, till we get some, you know, genuine movies in 4K. Uh, the, the, honestly, it's, it's, I mean, the, the opportunities there in terms of not just resolution, but also in terms of wider color space and, and um, maybe maybe 10-bit um, video, possibly uh, there's there there's not more than just um, resolution at stake here there, yep. there is actually opportunities to change the, you know to create a, a home cinema format that is equivalent to what's in the movies because even now it's not equivalent you know i mean you can get quite good but there's still you know if you go to a, watch a movie projected in 4k at the cinema and they're using dci color space which is much wider than rec 79 which is what we use um for blu-rays and tv and dvds here in the uk so there, there, there is still a way to go before before the home cinema experience is equivalent to, the, to the, going to the commercial cinema, but um, but 4K could be the stepping stone to actually doing genuinely having proper home cinema. Well, 3D was the best thing that ever happened to 4K because it allowed the technology to mature behind the scenes while everybody was trying to sell us 3D TVs and 3D movies and all the rest of it. The camera technology moved on. The post-production technology moved on and was allowed to mature. So we're actually at a point now where um, I can edit 4K material on my PC here. It's it's powerful enough, and I have software that will accept red files at 5K and edit it in real time. So the infrastructure is there. 
Uh, NEB's just happened in Vegas uh, last week or the week before, which is the National Association of Broadcasters. Uh, it's where everybody goes to show off their latest cameras. Um, Canon have a DSLR that will shoot in 4K. Um, there are more and more 4K cameras coming. The little GoPro 3 will shoot 4K. It'll only do it at 12 frames per second at the moment, but that little camera, it's uh, £300, it will shoot 4K at 12 frames per second. Uh, you've got Sony who have uh, three 4K cameras now in their lineup. Um, everything from the F65, which is like a $200,000 camera for shooting. Um, well, Oblivion was shot on it recently. Um, all the way down to the F55, which is uh, about 18000 which is within the reach of docu documentary makers, wildlife photographers. Um, that's within the price range now of those people. That camera has been available for a little while now. You then have all the red cameras, so the red one and the red Epic, they shoot 4K. There's, I could go on and on and on um, because the infrastructure is now there. The, the stuff's now in the market. It's affordable. Um, people can do it now. There's a... Uh, black magic design camera which will cost you three grand it will shoot in 4k yep. um, the lenses will cost you another three or four grand <laughs> to get the quality but it's a three grand camera that will shoot 4k video um, so the technology is there like i say I, I already can edit if i had the material in real time on my editing pc at the minute uh, with adobe premiere or in final cut uh, 10 and the only thing that, that's really stopping the pipeline at the minute is the compression side of things. How do you get out there? Uh, there is this new codec. I've yet to see uh, and sit down and really analyze it because I haven't had the opportunity yet. But if they get that in the bag and it looks great at 20 megabits per second um, and it, it, it doesn't, you know, the compression technology is getting so good nowadays that, I mean, just look at Blu-ray, you know, how fantastic does that look? It's still compressed. But the compression algorithms, they're just absolutely fantastic nowadays. Uh, and this new codec uh, or compression system seems to be even better. So uh, that's the only thing that's stopping it at the minute. And if they manage to nail that and it's it, it, it's coming out at that bandwidth, it's completely doable via broadband. So the future is looking 4K and it's looking bright. <laughs> it is. It can't come fast enough, truly. Looks crisp and sharp and beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, uh, you know, we're talking about 84 inch TVs and so on, and they're like 25 grand. Sony announced at NEB uh, that their 55 inch and 65 inch TVs are going to be four and five thousand pounds. Well, four and five. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, um, dollars. So this is five and six thousand dollars, yeah. which I guess will equate to roughly about that in this country's way. It usually yeah. seems to work. So, unfortunately. So, you, so you're hitting a sweet spot there where people will spend that type of money on the TVs um, and and will go for a 4K TV. And you've already got the Chinese coming in to market uh, with its silly prices as well. So, I can see the price of the technology come down. Like you say, Steve, I think uh, when you read the forums, people seem to think that this is five years away. No, I think That's twenty next year. I think 2016, it'll be up and running. We'll have, we'll have a Sky HD channel, we'll, uh, 4K channel, sorry. We'll have at least something from the BBC at that point. Uh, Production-wise, they will. They already are shooting 4K. A lot of TV productions and so on are already, and documentaries shooting, shooting at 4K. Maybe not necessarily for transmission, but um, they're thinking backwards. They're, they're thinking yeah, and, backwards and compatibly. 
we found out from our conversation with the uh, head of restoration at Universal on the Schindler's List Blu-ray, of course, they've been doing 4K masters of, of rest- restoration masters for a number of years now. And people don't people often think, you know, unless it's shot on a 4K camera, it's not 4K. Well, no, 35 millimeter film is a high resolution and 4K. So there's, there's 100 years worth of content just sitting there waiting to be distributed, uh, you know, and some new medium that, at a 4K resolution. So the content's there. Uh, it's just a question of how how get how we get it to to the marketplace, isn't it? Which uh, takes us way off topic in terms of streaming. <laughs> but, but well, yeah. no, it, could, it could be that streaming is the is the is the ultimate solution, isn't it? Yeah, that's certainly I mean, what they're talking about in terms of Sony's. Uh, you know, you, you buy a twenty four thousand pound, twenty four thousand dollar four K TV, and they lend you a a box that downloads. Well, it comes already pre- preloaded with some 4K movies, and you can download some other stuff over the internet. You know that that, that that's one way of delivering it. There's talk about delivering it uh, in packets over a period of time uh, before the actual launch date. So you'd say you you put the order in on in first of May, and then on the first of June the film releases on on 4K, and by that time it's gradually been downloaded overnight, so it's ready to go, and then you get the un- a key to unlock it, and you you can watch it. So there's the ways of, there are ways around it, but a lot of the solutions that are being suggested um, tend to centre on downloading and, and streaming. It's not going anywhere. Streaming is not going anywhere. It's just far too convenient. Uh, the choice is there. It works at the minute. Um, certainly in, in terms of catch-up TV, in terms of catch-up uh, with films that you're not going to buy in Blu-ray or DVD or whatever, you know, um, it's becoming so convenient that it's not going to go anywhere fast. Like you were saying, Steve, as well, in, in the States, Netflix are ahead of HBO uh, in terms of subscribers. That can only grow as more and more people come on. So I guess the only thing that could happen is that with more and more people joining uh, broadband networks and streaming their films, and let's face it, there's a lot there's a lot of data to stream, even with uh, where we are at the minute. And if everybody starts doing that... Um, we could take the internet offline, could we not? But there is going to be an issue with the sheer capacity here, isn't there? Ultimately, there must be a tipping point where we think, okay, we need. To, I mean, I suppose they are gradually improving the network. I mean, I think it'll be a number of years before I get fiber optic cables coming into my house, and I'm still using copper wire, I think. But, um, but you know, a lot for a lot of p- parts of the country, um, certainly the um, um, urban areas in sense city centres, you know, the coverage there is, is vastly superior um, and the capacity certainly there is probably the, the sort of the more rural areas of the country that are going to suffer initially. Um, but, you know, I mean, like you said, Phil, if they could use it, they create a, four, a 4G network, no cables required, you know, nothing to lay, it's just a question of putting up, you know, transmitters, um, then that could be a, 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 we could just leapfrog the whole problem. Oh, it's, it's, it's all beyond me. I'm quite happy to put my disc in the player and sit there and watch it. <laughs> You're just going to go and get a nice book, aren't you? Put your feet up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if you have any thoughts on the future of streaming, it's here now. It, it, it's fairly good quality. Um, I've certainly been impressed uh, with what I've seen so far. Uh, from what Steve said, he's uh, been impressed with it as well. What, what's your thoughts uh, as an AV enthusiast or as for a member? Is it something that appeals to you? Uh, do you think that uh, the future is 4K via the internet. Do you think it's film fans and people who like uh, media in your hands, something solid that you own? Um, 
are you dialed into that or are you open to the future let us know uh, under this podcast in the podcast forum or you can send us an email to podcast at avforums.com send us your thoughts send us your questions uh, send us your ideas and uh, we'll definitely be coming back to this subject it is the movies podcast we're sorry that we didn't talk about specific movies on this podcast, but I think this subject matter, it's something that Mark's also covered in an article, which is on the front page at the minute, is streaming the future. It's certainly the hot potato. It's the one that everybody's talking about at this moment in time. Um, so we thought it was important that we cover it on the podcast here. And hopefully our experiences might make you go out if you haven't already experienced it and try it for yourselves and let us know what you think. So my thanks to Steve Withers. Thanks, Steve. Cheers, Phil. And my thanks to Simon. Thanks, guys. And this is Phil Hinton. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you again next month for the Movies Podcast here on AV Forums. Until then, take care. The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton, and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.